Welcome back to Range Anxiety. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Martin Don. I'm bringing you back to 30 years of automotive tuning experience in general car, mucking around in 30 minutes, once, twice, three times a week, whenever I feel like it. And today, I feel like it. It's a midweek session, and uh, no, I actually don't feel like it. It's been a uh, quite a hot, sort of muggy... Uh, part of the week in Adelaide starting now we're getting up into the hundreds F's for my American listeners by the weekend and yeah it's going to be fairly unpleasant fairly sticky and I don't really like the hot weather however as they say you live in South Australia the driest state on the driest continent in the world you've got to expect this this is summertime in Adelaide so yep head down and get on with it so what are we getting on with at the moment well frustrations actually not so much with the feedback the feedback and listener base has been really really good um we're getting lots of suggestions people i actually had a criticism of one of my favorite epicasts little lord just saying it was a bit over the top well bad luck to you who complained because little lord is over the top we all know that about him but today we're going to talk about things slightly more technical we're going to, uh, this Epicast goes by the name of Push It, thanks to Salt and Pepper once more, with their wonderful 80s sort of dance track there. Some of you might be old enough to remember it. Those that can't, well, you're not missing out on too much. Because this week, we had, the last couple of weeks, we actually have been pushing it. We have been trying to finish project builds, a couple of big project builds that we've got on the go. One is the Audi uh, R8 V10 twin turbo that I'd really like to have had finished three days ago, but <laughs> that's not the case. Um, the hardware fitment, the ETS uh, turbocharger kit was, was a really nice thing. The wiring wasn't overly difficult, but I decided to make it difficult for myself. Yep, <clears throat> when things are going to plan, um, you know, you've got to derail yourself. I wanted to use the stock ECUs to program the thing, and it is proving a little more problematic than I first thought it was going to. Now, the actual nuts and bolts of, of the Bosch Audi ECUs haven't sort of been the problem, but it's it's the methods that we use to program them, and it's the hardware that we use. And I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to start any gigantic shit fights with, with various different manufacturers around the world. But every time you process a file, it has to go through portals and be um, encoded and all sorts of things have to happen before you can slam it into the car, into the ECU. And yeah, there's been all sorts of problems with the back end of the tuning it. I still think we will get it done within 24 to 48 hours, but you know, I've actually bricked the ECUs three times now and, and you know it's never good when you're You've got an expensive car under your control and you, you've got a laptop plugged into it and the sound of death comes on when you're flashing it. What is the sound of death? Those of you that are adept with flashing modern vehicles would know when the fans turn on high speed, all of a sudden the engine cooling fans and every other fan in the bloody thing turns on high speed, you know you've just made the ECU a house brick. Now, thankfully, we, and you know, never to start again, unless, of course, you have the necessary tools to recover the ECUs and you can take them out and put them on the bench and put them into what's called 
service mode and reflash your original files back into them and start again. But we've had all of these problems, not so much with changing the maps, because that's actually fairly easy in these things. Well, to my sort of mind, it is you have some torque requests, you have Lambda targets, you have gearbox torque output signals or map tables, you know, you have ignition optimum tables and, and wide open throttle. It's actually not too bad because I, I know, you know, having been around for a long time, I know where I want these numbers before we even start modifying, um, you know, the software in the car. I kind of know where it needs to be. I mean, the first thing I did is, is, is with the Audi is we put it on the dyno dead standard and we logged it. Not so much interested in what the maps in the ECU are saying, but interested in what is coming out the actual end of it, you know, under the horse's tail, so to speak. So we knew how much ignition timing we had. We knew how much Lambda we had. We knew all of those crucial things before we started throwing air at it. And, you know, we had a look at the math um, scaling in, in the car and how many grams per second of calculated load that it had and all of the things that you need to get the right model in your head before you start just slashing and burning numbers into it. And, and that is right. This is what this tuning expose in this vehicle will be. It will be a slash and burn to start with, at least, to get everything in the ballpark before we finesse it a bit. We're using the factory airflow meters, which are a... Would you believe the Audi R8 V10 airflow meters are the same footprint as an R35 GDR? So uh, we're actually, on the standard car, they're a suck-through sort of system. They sit in front of the throttle bodies. Now, they also sit in front of the throttle bodies, but they're a blow-through system. Anyone that's ever owned a modified Nissan with an airflow meter from back in the day or even today will know that if you put airflow meters too close to the inlets of turbochargers you get all sorts of horrible reversion and tuning issues when you back off the throttle and we don't want the Audi stumbling and farting and coughing around because that just isn't fitting for a car that's worth so much money and is potentially going to go as fast as it's going to go. So yeah I, I've got the sort of numbers where I need them to be in, in my head. It made 500 wheel horsepower, 374 kilowatts or something at all four wheels dead standard, which is quite amazing out of a 5.2 litre V10. I want to add 250 to 300 horsepower to it on the standard fuel system or go as far as the standard direct injection fuel system will go before we start taking further steps. So I would like to see, you know, a genuine 800 wheel horsepower out of it would be very, very nice. I mean, 800 wheel horsepower, Aussie horsepower that is. So that's with uh, jet correction for my friend stateside, that's probably about 900 at the wheels, which is about as far as you're going to go on that fuel system, if that far. And it should make for quite an exciting GDR destroying ride. Because these cars do seem to work better horsepower for horsepower than a GDR does. Put it down to, oh, the way they change gears or the way they cut the air. 900 horsepower at the wheels in a Lambo slash Audi turbocharged always seems to be faster than 900 horsepower at the wheels in a GDR. You know, I suppose you get what you pay for too, and you know, one car works better than the other because one's twice the price of the other to start with. So yeah, well, once we get the portal upgraded and we get the checksums corrected in the programs that we've written and we manage to stuff them into the ECUs, then the programming or the tuning on the dyno can start, which I don't believe knowing what I know about the ECU architecture and the Audi, I don't believe it's going to be that 
hard. Hmm, okay, well, you know, you'll, you'll hear me back here on the weekend cursing and screaming because, you know, it's only eight days before race day. And, of course, it hasn't even been on the dyno yet, let alone shaking down, testing, seeing what falls off or if or see if something leaks. You know, we're, we're, we're cutting it fine and cutting it fine with building race cars is indeed the recipe for disaster. I want a few hundred kilometres of road driving, a couple of hundred miles of road driving on this thing before it even looks like seeing a racetrack. But whether that actually happens or not, hmm, that's a, that's a question for another Epicast altogether. So what else have I got that's burning a hole in my backside? Well, of course, brotherly love being as it is, one can't have a twin turbocharged Audi without one having a substantial, sub, substantial, see I can't even speak right anymore correctly, substantial upgrade on a GDR turbocharger system. So what was the biggest set of stock manifold turbochargers you could buy on a GDR making for a nice mid nine second package? It was very responsive on a 4.4 litre billet block. Bit of overkill really for the size of turbochargers that were on it. Now has made way for like the biggest low mounts you can put on a GDR. Again, from our friends ETS Pro 1900 system on the uh, on this particular 4.4 billet block and it should be quite an exciting thing. We had a thousand wheel horsepower, genuine Aussie horsepower through the TSM elites and you know, that was pushing them to their limit. That was mid thirties on the PSI and they just really couldn't keep up in the top end. Now we're going to go mid to low 30s on the Pro 1900s and it should make with the Zona turbos on it, which look to be absolutely lovely things. You know, the quality and technology in them combined with what ETS have done is, you know, is really, really good. And, you know, I would hope to see another three to 400 wheel horsepower at the same boost, providing we can get the rotten things on there. I mean, ETS have done a wonderful job of engineering the kit, but the problem is these days is because there are CMM arms and CAD modeling of engine bays and, and um, engine blocks, etc. It's basically, they are down to the last millimeter in every direction for clearance. And when I say down to the last millimeter, you would be lucky to put a cigarette paper in some of the clearances where the clearances even exist. Then take into the account we're into account that the kit is engineered for a left-hand drive car and we're putting it on a right-hand drive car with a steering knuckle on the different side. Now, to give ETS their juice, they have tried to accommodate this into their engineering of the kit and they're talking about turning, you know, steering rack bushes upside down to drop the rack slightly and, and all sorts of other things that they do. I mean, I don't want to introduce bump steer into the car. Changing steering rack position is, is never something that you really ever want to do in any car unless you know the exact effect it's going to have on the suspension particularly one that still does so you know does a fair bit of time around race tracks not just straight down them but are you know going around those things that a lot of people's gdrs don't know about called corners so we've had a little and, and again making it even harder is that we have a block with different external dimensions to the factory block you know, it's a bit thicker in some spots. It's quite close, but, you know, we've had to take the die grinder to the block, which is okay. It's billet aluminium and it's very, very thick. So to relieve it, you know, tiny little amounts in certain areas, bah, don't worry about it. And we've also got a billet front div, all from Crest CNC, the block and the div, and they have webbing on them in spots that the standard 
diffs do not have any webbing on them and that's why the standard, well one reason, the standard diffs blow apart as soon as you try and do anything serious with the power level of the vehicle or the way it is driven or dragged or whatever. So we've had to sit there and we've had to make what they call in the industry a fair bit of man glitter which is aluminium filings and shavings off high-pitched die grinders and there's been some bending and stretching and anyway as an old friend of mine once said it's very much putting big low mount turbos on a GDR is very much like a stuffing an octopus into a jar you can get it in there but you do need to expend a bit of effort particularly if your engine bay is full of all sorts of aftermarket goodies to start with and yes of course if you know the characters that I'm talking about, you know for a fact that there are all sorts of aftermarket goodies in there just waiting to get in the way of whatever you do. All credit to ETS though, the kit does seem to be very, very nice. When you open the bonnet, because GDRs are what they are, you can't see anything anyway, you'll see some slightly different pipe work and you won't realise that instead of having you know, 11 or 1200 horsepower of turbocharger on it. The thing now has 19 horsepower, 1900 horsepower of turbocharger on it, which is great. And yes, of course, if you go back a couple of epicasts, you can now agree with me that we've done the stupid thing and we've broken the seal. We have indeed, we had a transmission that worked perfectly, a drive line that worked perfectly. The only reason that it lost boost uh, the last time we took it out to that wonderful in inverted commas a motorsport called roll racing the only reason it lost boost and didn't go for the win there we thought it had popped a hose off and we were kicking ourselves but no no the hks circuit spec genuine big dollar intercoolers one of them the weld across the top tank had simply popped and split those uh, intercoolers were obviously not designed for 30 plus psi boost we cannot blame HKS for this. They generally tend to do a, a fairly good job in my experience with them. Probably not the best, probably not the worst, but they did call it a circuit spec intercooler, not jam as much boost into it as you can a roll racing intercooler. So we've fixed that with something that resembles a giant refrigerator that goes on the front of the car once more courtesy of ETS. So yeah, that's going to be an exciting build probably until it hits fourth or fifth gear for the first time uh, under full load and slips the clutches or shreds a gear. We do know that the transmission in this particular GDR was never built for this application. We don't have time to build it for this application. So we're going to roll the dice and see how it works with this application. My experience with GDRs would tend to suggest probably not that well. So while we've been, and again, John, Shepard, Shep Trans, if you're listening to this, I'll be in touch with you very, very soon looking for that big stage, five monster that are bolt in the back of it and all of our problems should and uh, maybe quite possibly will just disappear. That would be sweet, wouldn't it? So await my email or call Mr. Shepard because it'll be coming, I think, sooner rather than later. Rolling the dice with GDRs generally, or any car actually, when you put something well out of spec, always comes up. Snake eyes. So while we've been juggling these two builds, and you know they're quite intense, as you can hear, there's lots going on. I've been doing the donkey work. 
because Gareth, he's the one on the tools. I'm the one doing the donkey work and the donkey work, just generic tuning, which I, I don't mind. I quite like a bit of tuning from time to time. You know, keeps the hand in, keeps the eye in, and it, it's something allegedly that I'm, I'm fairly good at. So I've been doing that, but boy, what a time I've had of it. And, you know, when we're talking about pushing it, we're not just talking about people pushing the envelopes with their big builds. We're talking about manufacturers bloody pushing it with modern cars. I had a particular German car in this week, a particular brand of car, new car. And when I do, my mate uh, Bobo and I, he works at another business. He's a, he's a highly sort of regarded auto sparky and very smart with CAN bus stuff and everything else. We always have a bit of a standing joke to see how many faults are in the car when we scan them for the first time before we tune them. We always like to scan them to see if there's anything, you know, insidious or hidden or wrong with it, the vehicle, before we, you know, roll up our sleeves and start flashing it. Because otherwise a customer will come back to you and say, since you, since you touched it, or since you did this, the car's doing this, where it had bloody well been doing it the whole time. So this MY19 German vehicle of high quality and high price, uh, uh, Phil was wrong. Bobo was wrong. He said it'd have 36 faults existing in it already. He was wrong. I was right. Well, I was closer than him. I said 32, but it was actually 33. That's right. There are so many modules in these modern cars, so many things to go wrong and so many things that are just constantly in error the whole time that it is actually beginning to take the joy out of working around them, with them, and trying to do good things with them because the whole system is set up not only to defeat you should you try and modify these cars, but also to defeat themselves and keep you going back to service centers. Like, why would an automatic door entry opening system that's never been touched, has done no work really, and is only 18 months old, why would it have four faults in it? Why would the dash cluster have faults in it? Why would the um, trailer brake module that's not even connected have faults in it? The recipe and the software involved now in ensuring cars go into fault for the slightest thing and not even safety reasons, just stupid things that guarantee that you'll be going back for some sort of dealership assistance is absolutely bloody stupid and frustrating and abhorrent. Like, the same mark of vehicle now will not let you put it on the dyno because the radar, the LiDAR system in the front of it, and that's one reason I do hate LiDAR in cars, and not, not only because Tesla don't like it, they just use cameras, which is, to me, a lot smarter and a lot simpler and a lot cheaper, but the LiDAR system in the front of this particular German vehicle will now see in MY21 build cars that you are on a rolling road. It sees the wheels moving. Even if you've got driven rollers and you have all four wheels turning as they would down the road, the LiDAR system can now detect, and that's right, that you aren't actually moving. The body of the vehicle is not moving, so therefore it goes straight into fault mode and will not let you dyno it. Isn't that wonderful? As far as I know, or well, with the tooling I have, I can't actually disable that system in the dyno mode as such. I'm sure the factory can, so it's going to be time before anything other than shithouse car park tunes done by those that know no better are going to be able to be done. 
to this certain mark. Which leads me to, to, to bring back to the point, you know, I was always Mr. Electronics and Mr. You know, Guru of EFI and whatever back in the day, but you know, shit, I really like analog cars now. But what is an analog car? I mean, certainly I, I don't like things with carburetors on them. My business partners seem to think that carburetors are just wonderful things and you know, all cars should have them. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't even have a carburetor on my, on my lawnmower if I had the choice. They're rubbish and they don't work and they never have and there's much better ways of doing things. Sorry, Carby fans. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't like your Carbies. Um, but what is an analog car? An analog car to me is one that has actual instruments, things with dials, and I know Lisa D will be very happy to hear me say that. It allows you to turn the traction control off completely on a button. So you can dyno the vehicle by just pressing the button traction off. Yes, I don't want traction control nannies. Yes, you can turn off. Yes, I want to run it into a tree, whatever. But not, I'll let you turn me off, but I'll stay half on because I know you can't drive and I don't trust you. I don't like that at all. I hate it, in fact. Analog cars also allow you to do things with the gearbox that you should be able to do. A lot of newer stuff will pick when it allows you to downshift and it won't let you bounce the limiter under any conditions before you upshift. Just stupid. A good automatic or a good manually controlled uh, DCT should allow you to do the things that you can do in a manual transmission. And you know, people did some dumb stuff in manual transmissions over the years, but let's face it, there are plenty of manual cars on the road still that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old that haven't been blown up through abuse. So, you know, I, I don't think that's a, that's a valid argument. I think that's just real silly stuff. But I can see you sitting there in the background now saying, oh yeah, listen to Donnan rabbiting on about analog cars when all he does at the first drop of a hat is carry on about stupid Teslas and electric cars, which are as far from analog as you can get. And you know what? If you have said that and you have thought that, then you are 110% correct because Teslas are about as digital as you can get. But you don't need to turn traction control right off because when it's set in track mode, you can't feel it anyway. And you don't need instruments to tell you how fast you're going or how slow you're going or to tell you what the car's doing because it doesn't have stuff in it that gets hot or overheats or oil pressure to drop or any of that stupid internal combustion rubbish. No, you can just tell it what to do and it will do it. See, my excuses are starting to get there and really at the end of the day, it's not actually a car. That's right. I'm not saying it's a car. I'm not saying it's a supercar. I'm not saying whatever it is. Teslas are a, a device, a lifestyle device that gets you from A to B, in most cases, very, very rapidly. In fact, the slowest one you can buy does a standing quarter in 13.0. You know, and the fastest one you can buy, or the fastest one you can order right now, does it in sub 9.0. So you've got between eights and third, you know, eights and high 12s are about 
where you're at with those things. So give me as much crap as you want. Teslas aren't cars. They're cool things. And if you ask any of the fanboys of the electric Jesus, Elon Musk, they're the closest thing to a Falcon 9 heavy SpaceX aircraft that you can get. And with that, I finished my rant today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Range Anxiety and give me your feedback at dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. And stay tuned for next Epicast. It's going to be a ripper with some big results in it.